Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Achieve Your Goals podcast listeners, aka Goal Achievers. Hey, this is your host, Hal Elrod. And uh, today you're going to listen in on a conversation between my uh, friend Mel Robbins and I. And if you don't know Mel, you should. She She's everywhere, man. She is... Uh, uh, her YouTube, uh, or not YouTube. Well, yeah, it's on YouTube, but her, uh, Ted talk, how to stop screwing yourself over has over, I think it's over 14 million views. Now her book, the five second rule is one of the best selling books in the history of audible, the audiobook, And it is also one of the, it was one of the most read books of 2000 and, uh, 17, 18, what year are we in? I don't know. Uh, one of those years, but, um, this last year it was one of the most read books on all of Amazon. She, she is just phenomenal. And, uh, I, I was blessed to meet her backstage. We were both giving, uh, speeches at the same event last year. And uh, I had heard of her and, you know, kind of watched her and stalked her online from afar, if you will. And, and I guess she had heard of, of me. And, and so we connected. And at that time we were making the Miracle Morning documentary. And we were really in need for some really powerful women. We had too many men in the film, if you will, and not not enough women, I should say. And uh, I met her. I saw her speech. I was blown away. And we, I went backstage, and we, you know, I, I know I just met you, Mel, like five minutes ago. But you want to be in my movie? And so she said yes. And and she has a great, you know, she has some great sound bites in the film. So, uh, but today, here's what you're going to hear on the episode today. It's not content. So normally when I do the Achieve Your Goals podcast, I, I more often than not, I really try to bring you content and I really try to you know extract, all right, what are some you know powerful lessons, strategies, what can you implement right away to improve your life, to achieve your goals? And Mel has so much content on the internet. I mean, there's no shortage of content. Whether you want to read her book, go to YouTube, watch her videos, listen to her audiobook, listen to her, you know, she has a brand new show on Audible, but she has so much content. Uh, I thought, you know what? I want to, both for you and for me, I want to dig deep and I want to hear her story. Like, I really want to know this. She's just such a dynamo who's just changing the world and changing millions of lives. Uh, I want to know her story. I, and I personally, her and I have become friends in the last year, but I've never sat down with her and said, what, you know, what was it like growing up for you? And what, what was your childhood like? And, you know, who was Mel Robbins that, that led to you being the Mel Robbins, right? Along that journey. And so that's what I bring to you uh, today is a really just a, a candid conversation with Mel about her life and her background. She'll talk about her, um, her family and her parents and what values they instilled in her that uh, helped her become the, the Mel Robbins that she is today. So hope you enjoy uh, eavesdropping on this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And uh, here we go. The one and only Mel Robbins. All right, Mel Robbins, here we go. Let's do it. How you doing? I'm awesome. Yeah, you're. Uh, you have a two day break. Is that right? You're two days between all your crazy changing the world stuff. Yeah, I have two days before. Well, no. What am I saying? No, that, not two days. I have to be <laughs> on a plane tomorrow morning to St. Louis, give a speech, do a book signing, then I fly to Vegas. We have an event with 400 people. 
from an online course. And then I have another speech on Friday. And then I fly overnight to somebody's 50th birthday party. And then I fly to Houston for a speech. And then I'm home Monday night. How many speeches a year are you giving right now? I know you're like, you are literally, for anyone that doesn't know, you're one of the most booked speakers in the world. So how many speeches? That is not something I'm proud of, by the way, Um, because it's not, it's great for your marriage in the beginning. And then you realize maybe you should be home if you would like to stay married. I've gone through that. Yeah. So this year I am capping it at 80, but last year was 121. Oh my gosh. A couple of bureaus say you are the most booked woman in the world. That's uh, so 121 last year down to 80. And then, yeah. uh, and then next, and next year, year we'll be down to 60. Yeah. yeah. Cause I'm yeah. making an intentional pivot in, in my business, in my work, in my life. And, you know, obviously you and I talk a lot about that. Yeah. Sort of being awake and present enough to hear the signals and to listen to your own wisdom and to know when it's time to make a move and to be able to kind of see around those corners. And so, yeah, I'm scaling back on the speaking to focus on other things. So talk about some of the other things right now. Um, what, uh, well, uh, first of all, I can tell you that I just listened to episode one of kick ass with Mel Robbins this morning. Yeah. Uh, and? yeah. Uh, awesome. I, I love, in fact, in fact, by the way, y- you impacted my world um, from that. So that you, this, you should appreciate this, or I think you'll appreciate this. So I, took the coaching that you gave uh, to Kim, uh, Kimberly. I remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Neither do I. Um, that was this morning. But no, Kim possibility, by the way, right? Yeah. That's yeah. No. So the coaching. So my wife called me on the way to the gym and she was having some anxiety. She's worked out with, I had got her a trainer and she was working out for the first time without the trainer. And she goes, sweetheart, I need some support. She goes, I know this sounds stupid. I don't understand. I, I know in my head, this is stupid. She said, but I'm going to the gym. I've got anxiety because my trainer's not there. What if I don't know how to use the machines? What if I mess something up? What if, you know, and, uh, and it was amazing. I literally, I said, sweetheart, I was listening to kick ass with Mel Robbins this morning. And, and I, I gave her the coaching that you gave to Kim telling her that's what I was doing. And I kind of told her in the form of a story, I said, what Mel told Kim was that this child, this decision she made as a child, that was a strategy to keep her protected from her fears and, and the unknown was a decision that it was implanted in her subconscious. And it's what it's the strategy she kept using. And I said, you, when you were a kid, you know, and anyway, so we went into it and it was amazing. And, and it, it, you know, I actually, I hear that she's home. So I'll have to ask her how it worked, but she was like all fired up. She's like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. So you're changing lives, Mel. Uh, I'm so, so awesome. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't say this very often, but I am really proud. I'm really proud of that show which for those of you that don't know what it is, Audible has a group called Audible Originals. And think about it like Netflix or Hulu. They're, they're buying up, Audible is, all kinds of uh, original content programs and doing partnerships with people like Hal and me. And so the first one they did was with Joe Biden when his memoir came out about losing his son, Bo. Mm-hmm. And the second one was with Kevin Hart. And the third original production was with us. And so, yeah, it's, it's really, amazing. but the thing that I'm most proud about is that we've, our team has never done anything like that. And, you know, one of the things that certainly the miracle morning that you are teaching to people around the world gives you the clarity and the courage and the kind of structure to go and hear your inner wisdom and then to go off and do big things in your life and in your work. 
And one of the things that's really cool for me is that when the five second rule book became this phenomenon, very much like the Miracle Morning did, Audible came to us and asked us if we would collaborate with them and give them an exclusive on the next book. And I said, no. And I knew because I could hear my own instincts that that was the right thing to say. Mm -hmm. And then they said, well, what could we do? And I said, let's do a talk show. And my instincts also know that as an entrepreneur, I've got to control what I'm doing. And yet it's kind of, you know, takes a lot of guts to sit in a meeting in New York City with 30 people and say, but my team has to do it, knowing full well, you've never done anything like this before. Yeah. And we pulled it off. We did a global casting call, had never done anything like that before. Flew eight people to Boston. We had never done, I mean, obviously it's not that hard, but it actually is. People have anxiety about flying. Then you need to get them to the airport. And what does your company do to take care of people? And how do you still maintain boundaries between them and your team? And just all these things that we just figured out. And then we spent literally hours and hours and hours and hours and hours listening to it and editing it and making sure that the final product was not only entertaining, but it was impactful. And it was empowering. And so I am so happy to hear that you not only took the time to listen, but that you got something out of it because that was the intent. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, well, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, so for those that, yeah, still what, what Mel did is she, it's live coaching sessions. So yeah. you hear her coaching somebody, right? And, and what I love that you did is that you unpacked the coaching at the end. That was really cool, right? So it was like, okay. What you just heard me do was blank, right? And how that applies to you or how it could apply to you is blank, 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 right? Yes, and there's a workbook that goes with it. Oh, really? If you go to melrobbins.com slash audio, there's a free workbook that comes with it because, you know, you get so much by listening to somebody else's stories, but you and I are so committed. Like one of the reasons why I love Hal so much, and I know it's why you watch what he's doing and you listen and you go to his programs is because, yeah, 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 he's a very successful entrepreneur, but the guy is so committed to making a difference with you. And it is what comes through. And so we decided to end, you know, it's one thing to listen into a coaching session, which in and of itself is very entertaining. We then added in the recaps at the end for precisely that reason, because yeah. you're now emotionally exhausted because you've heard somebody's story and you've heard crying and swearing and up and down. And oh my gosh, it's like television in your ear for crying out loud. And then we said, well, wait, we could take this a step further. What if we created a workbook that scaffolds all the takeaways so that you can go and do these exercises on paper in your own life with the tools and the, and the kind of strategies that I use to think about catching bad patterns in my own life and pivoting and creating new patterns. So anyway, that's something else that we did with this because, and I'm really proud to tell you, we are the first Audible original to debut on Amazon's bestseller list. We have broken every single pre-sale record that they've ever done. Wow. And we're crushing it. And so as an entrepreneur who basically did what I always am telling people to do, which is just try. Just yeah. trust yourself, hear yourself first, then trust that it's right, and then just try to know that it has turned out okay and somebody that I respect as much as you, Hal, listen, and that you got something out of it, that means a lot to me. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, yeah, absolutely. You're welcome and, and thank you. 
Uh, so, Mel, here's what I want to do today. I, yeah. uh, I mean, there's obviously a lot of things we could talk about on um, the five second rule. If anybody hasn't read this, yeah. by the way, uh, there's a read. No, yeah, exactly. Ooh, We're not going to talk yes. about it, but this is, I just wanted to make sure everyone knows this is your book that is, is changing so many lives. And uh, one of the, where, what, now I, I know on Audible, so you guys on Audible, your book, it's one of the, where, where, where well, does on it Amazon, end? So the, on Audible, it's still in the top 20 list after a year. And it is the number one title ever sold on ACX in terms of volume, which is a self-publishing oh. platform. And it is one of the top selling uh, self-development books in the history of Audible. And it's one of the top five most read books on Amazon last year. And it's now in 31 languages in literally just over a year. Incredible. Incredible. So there you go. That's all you need to know. There's a reason that it's done that well, folks. It's super simple. That's all. I'm going to teach you how to change your life in five seconds. That's what I'm going to do. And it sounds cheesy and stupid, but it's actually a brain trick. But you can Google it. There's free videos all over the internet that we've produced about it. So just watch that. Yeah. Well, in fact, and that's where that's where this thing took off is you did a TED talk, right? Yes. And it has I just checked, it's got like 14 million views. Yeah. So yeah, go watch that if you haven't seen it. But no, actually, and Mel, you're you're new. You know, when I write a book, I model other books. I, I just take pieces. I go, ooh, I like how this author did this. I like the way this author structured their chapters. Like with this author, I like how their their intro. I like right. And so I just wrote in I'm I'm writing my new book. It's called The Miracle Equation. And ooh. I, uh, I yeah, and I've got your book sitting next to me on the couch with a bunch of others. And one of the things I wrote in my notes to model is model the way Mel took a concept that she can teach in 30 seconds, right? And then unpacked it and supported it and gave references and testimonials and real life experiences in a way that, you know, made it so brilliant, right? Is the simplicity of the concept, but taught in a way where by the end of the book, you're like, okay, I really, really, really get it now. Like, <laughs> And I, I, I have to try. Well, this yeah. is what I actually want you to steal. Steal the social proof. So I don't think there's a book out there no. that takes the number of social media posts about the concept I'm talking about and shows you. See, I don't like to tell people. Yeah. I like to show people. And maybe it's because I'm dyslexic and I'm an experiential learner. And so reading something and then having to think about it, it's harder for me to process that way. When I can see it, I get it. And so one of the things about the five, about the success of that book is that because there's so many screenshots of social media and we reached out to all their people, all everybody in it, got all their permissions. Yeah. Any human being on the planet that reads that book will find an on-ramp. They will see one person or one person's story or one person's post or their photo that will remind them of something inside of them, or the post itself will be written with words that are different than what you and I would write, Hal. And so you expand the access and the resonance of your book by using social proof. Absolutely. And you give confidence, right? People go, okay, if it worked for him and him and him and her and her and her and him and him and him and her and her and her, right? Okay, well, like, oh, I, I, I would be doing something wrong if it didn't work for me. Like, uh, you know, I didn't at least try it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm such a big believer in that, that, that borrowing confidence from other people that have gone before us, right? And that's, that's what your book, another thing that, yeah, you did, you did so well. So here's what I want to spend most of our time today. I want to, I want to get to know Mel Robbins. You and I are, are friends, we're buddies, we're acquaintances, we love each other. I'm in your movie. You're in the movie, which is awesome. And you're, I think you'll be in the trailer too. I just saw the first, you're in the, 
you're in the first cut of the trailer. So, awesome. um, and yeah, making the movie, by the way, is and, and just so you know, in case you're listening and not don't know what we're talking about, the Miracle Morning movie, right? The documentary that comes out. Uh, and it was really amazing. Mel and I were both speaking in an event together. We knew who each other were. We hadn't met. Backstage, we meet. I hear her five-second rule speech. And I go, and it's all about, by the way, the five-second rule started with how she beat the snooze button. And I was like, wait a minute. We are missing strong females from this movie. And this may be the strongest female I've ever heard <laughs> share a powerful message. And it was just, I'm like, Mel, I know we just met five minutes ago. Do you want to be in my movie? And you said yes. And yeah, it was awesome. You're, you actually have the only curse word in the movie, which is so Mel Robbins. <laughs> it's bleeped out, of course, but it was course, perfect. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. It's, uh, it F's your whole day. Anyway. So Mel, so yeah, tell me about, I want to know, like, I just really want to get to know you from as a kid growing up, like what, 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 you know, I think it's so powerful to get to know, like you are so changing the world. Millions of yeah. people follow you, love you. They swear by your content. They attribute transformations in their lives to you, but you were born as a baby with no success and the right, just like all of us, right? You went through. Although I think I was born as a baby that worries. Like if a baby can worry, that was me. Awesome. Okay. My my wife too. Yeah. That's so yeah. I just, I had, I had a remarkably awesome childhood. I had two parents who are still married. So Bob and Marcia Schneeberger and they are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, which is no small feat because my mom got pregnant with me as a sophomore in college when she was 19. Okay. And my dad was a senior and they were at Lindsberg College in Bethany, Kansas. And my mom dropped out of school to have me and to take care of me. And my dad then went on to medical school. My mom worked nights at the IRS so my father could be in medical school. And when he was done with classes, she would pass for me. Or and when my brother came along, my brother Derek, and they tag teamed. And so I grew up with a model of two people that came from very, very blue collar families. My mom comes from a long agriculture family, Angus cattle farmers up in upstate New York. My dad's immigrants from Austria and they own the local bakery. You know, my, after getting out of the Navy, my grandfather opened a little bakery in New Jersey. And so humble, hardworking beginnings, they meet in college and they have this marriage that was a true partnership. And so I, what do you mean by that true partnership? Cause especially at that, at that young of an age, having any kind of marriage that resembles a you know, a model for a good marriage at that age is, is pretty, pretty tough to do. Oh, and it's also like incredibly impactful. You know, I mean, to see, to see somebody go the distance of 50 years, particularly starting out when things were not great and public housing and two jobs and working nights and just burning the candle at both ends. But I think they grew up in families where they saw their parents working till eight o'clock, eight or nine o'clock at night in the family business. Mm. And they did chores after. So work and family were just woven into the fabric of who they are. And it got literally absorbed in my cells that a man and a woman or, you know, two women, two men now, any partnership, loving partnership means mutual respect and mutual work. So what was interesting about growing up in my family is that my mom modeled literally what you would call feminism without like marching and being like wild, like a big activist. 
she was an activist in her own household because she had mutual respect from her husband and because money was not the power in our family. My dad ultimately went off to you know, have a very successful career in a very small town as a orthopedic surgeon. But when he walked in the door, my mother was in charge. And when it was time to go out and deal with the gardens, they were both out there. And when, the, when we were done with dinner, we were all bussing the table. And so there was just this really interesting thing that never got spoken where I think a lot of us grew up and we have a father figure that goes off and does something in the world. And then we love our mothers as the caretakers. I literally saw both of them as equals. And, you know, she also was just like a rock star. Like she smoked and drank beer out of a (laughs) pitcher and she played softball. And when perming was in, she would perm my dad's hair, like I, you know, that picture with with uh, Bradley Cooper in that movie where he's got the the teeny uh, perm rolls in his hair. I can't remember what playbook, something playbook. I, I'm like, so that's, my dad, playbook. that's my dad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they just, I don't know. They were super involved in our small town. My dad served on the city council for a long time. They were just literally hardworking family driven people. And that's, you know, I grew up like that. I, we didn't eat dinner unless mom and dad were home. You know, we, we were, we were not particularly religious. We, we, I grew up in a Methodist church, but we were sort of like the Easter Christmas Christians that said grace every day in our, um, but I think it's, it's also that blue collar. It's the effect of coming from farmers and bakers where you have a business that's open seven days a week and it's open at six o'clock in the morning. You're there till nine o'clock at night. I mean, no, the values though, that, that you extracted from growing up in that environment. I mean, work ethic sounds like one, what would you say the values that attributed to your success now and, and throughout your career? Uh, well, work ethic is a big one. Another okay. one is cheering, cheering for people. Okay. So my mom was a massive like advocate of my father. Awesome. And she was a she was the one that was so annoying when you were a kid because she yelled the loudest. <laughs> Not like screaming at you but just cheering. And she's also a big she she celebrates like crazy. So I you know she forced my dad to take dancing lessons and there was always a party at our house and she was always the one that was funny as heck at any party and just uh, you know, you, where's mom? Oh, there she is. I can hear her talking to somebody. And I'm exactly like that. I mean, I literally <laughs> learned that from her, like the power of enthusiasm. Yeah. And the other thing that I learned from her is, man, you do not, you do not cross her. You do not challenge her. There's a, there's a famous story in our household. And I think this is what literally fuels me as an entrepreneur. The first one is this. My grandmother ran the farm with my grandfather and she would always do the books. So my mom's mom, my grandmother, Eileen, she, I, I remember her as a child. She was always in like kind of the house coat before she would get dressed and she'd be sitting at the kitchen table in upstate New York and she'd have one of those calculators, Hal, you know, the tap, 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 and then it rolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My parents used to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Tallying all the money. And I'll never forget, never, ever, ever forget that she said to me one summer after we were visiting, because we would do chores and then she would pay us before we would leave. She pulled me aside. She said, Mel, make sure you make your own money. (laughs) I said, what do you mean? She's like, make your own money. Every woman needs her own money. 
And it stuck with me. And my mom always said that to me too. It is so important for you to make your own money. You do not want your entire life to become about supporting your husband and what your husband is doing. You need to have your own identity because it will make your marriage last. It will have the power dynamic in your relationship be more even, and you will find fulfillment in things outside of your family, which is super important. I mean, she was saying this kind of stuff to me back in the 70s and 80s, all while loving and cheering for my father louder than anybody else on the planet. So fast forward to when I was, gosh, how old was I? I think I was in eighth grade. My mom decided after doing so much volunteer work in our community that she wanted to open a store. Hmm. She wanted to open a kitchen gourmet store. She wanted to sell coffee. I mean, what outlandish ideas. They had these huge bins of coffee and flavored coffee. And I'll never forget this. She went into the bank with her best friend, Susie, and they were going in to get a $10,000 loan. And the bank manager, who my mother had known for years because we had been banking, I think it was Lumberman's Savings Bank. We had been banking there for years told her that they would be happy to give them the $10,000 loan as long as my father and Susie's husband (laughs) (laughs) co-signed. And my mom just quietly stood up and said, I would like to close all my accounts right now. (laughs) And the person kind of looked startled and she said, well, I am the co-owner and co-signer of all accounts. I own them and I have the power to close them. And the guy looked at her and said, we do not need your husband's signature. (laughs) And they gave them the loan. Nice. But so I just grew up with a woman. A strong woman. A very strong, a very just life of the party, confident, awesome woman. Uh, And she still is. And so I sort of absorbed it. And we definitely had our periods. When I went off to college and law school, and I think in the first years of my marriage living in New York City, we definitely had some major clashes and distance, I think mostly because we're both very powerful women. Sure. We don't live near each other. And so there's a lot of hurt beneath the surface for both of us that we're not near each other. You know what I mean? And we then take it out on each other, which is stupid. Yeah. But Anyway, I just love her. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, there a couple things that you said the, when I asked which values you extracted from your growing up. The two that you mentioned, uh, the first one was work ethic, and the second one was enthusiasm. Yeah, and I just want to I want to just call those out for our our listeners, our viewers, in, in that when I was back when I was uh, in sales and I had broken a bunch of sales records for the Cutco company, people yeah. would always ask me like, what, what how, you know, what were your secrets to success? And I said, look, I didn't know how to sell. I was 19 years old. I never, I had, I had access to two things that we all have access to. And I said, number one is work ethic. And number two is enthusiasm. No way. I said, yeah. I say those are the equalizers with any, anyone who wants to be su- successful in anything, right? In, in anything in life, in business, as an entrepreneur, in politics, you name it, right? right. The, the work ethic to, to put forth the effort that's necessary to move forward and, and fail forward and try whatever, right? While maintaining that enthusiasm that that get that attracts people to you, so yeah, so I, I love that that those were those were the two values that, yeah. uh, that you, you know. I think the other thing too fun. that I really absorbed from my dad. There's two things that really stick out, and one of them is just the guy was so committed to service. 
you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was an orthopedic surgeon, but he once a week was up in Shelby, Michigan, doing surgeries in a very rural and poor, like, community hospital. Okay. And he, I still, my, our 13-year-old son sleeps underneath a quilt that a patient of my father's made for him because of the difference that he made in terms of not only giving her the new hip, but just how he was with her. And so he's the kind of guy, he doesn't practice yoga, but he's like a yogi. You know, he's, when he's when he's taking care of people, particularly when he was still practicing as a physician, as an orthopedic surgeon doing surgeries, he just had this calmness about him. And it's interesting because, of course, I've married somebody just like him. And then the second thing that was interesting to me, and it was the first kind of insight into the complexity of personality. So when I went to Dartmouth uh, College and I came home my first summer, I remember one of the classes that I was taking had a, had a, like an assignment for the fall class, and that was to shadow somebody for a day in a profession yeah. that you were interested in, and I shadowed my dad. And by this point, my father was chief of staff at this tiny little community hospital, and he was like, you know, the surgical guy and had a particular operating room. And so I watched him do a couple surgeries. And as we were walking down the hall, it was literally like a rock star was walking through the halls. People were like, hey, Bob, hey, Dr. Schneider, hey, Doc, what's up? Hey, what's up? And he's like, hey, hey, ho, ho, what's up? <laughs> hey, and I literally was looking at him thinking, do you have like a, a, a secret life we don't know about? <laughs> what is going on? Like, this is not the, this is not the, the, the Bob Schneeberger that I grew up with. This yeah. is, what is going on? What? And so we're driving home after the day and I'm now exhausted because I have, I'm so confused, not only having watched him do all these magnificent, crazy surgeries, made it cement in my mind. I definitely did not want to be a doctor, by the way. And it all, because I can't stand the sight of blood. And then it also just made me confused because I thought, well, who is the guy that I just spent the day with? And he said, I said, what, what, why, why, how are you so outgoing at work? You're so different. And he said, well, he said, I have a job to do there. And when I come home, I just want to relax. And your mom is the most entertaining (laughs) and amazing person in the world. And so I get to just sit back and enjoy what she brings to the table. And so it was this real kind of eye opener, like, oh, wait a minute, like somebody who's introverted. And there's that amazing TED talk by, I think it's Professor Brian Schwartz, is it? Uh, Brian Lee, maybe he's from, he's a Cambridge professor that, that talks about the complexity of personality and how all of us can act out of character when it matters to us and that your personality exists on a spectrum. And so it was really eye opening because I realized, wow, like you can be certain ways in certain parts of your life and be a totally different way in other parts. And that's, totally cool. Yeah. 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 That's like, I don't know about you, but like I'm as a speaker, obviously I'll, you know, go speak in front of thousands of people, but at home, I just want to be by myself. I just like alone time. I don't like to have to go to parties and socialize and this and that, but um, like yeah. What, um, so let's fast forward. So you, you went, I know you, you were a lawyer. Uh, tell me what, from what age to what age were you a lawyer and what type of law were you practicing uh, before you got into this career 
uh, that you were. I what age I was. I graduated in 94, and I was a lawyer till 98-ish, and I was a public defender in Manhattan. Okay, public defender in Manhattan. Yeah, I represented people who were accused of crimes in the city of New York. Okay. Who could not afford a lawyer, and I was paid by the city to represent them. And so that was still not, so that was only a few years. And then, well, what'd you do after that? What'd you do in 98? We moved to Boston because my husband, my now, you know, my husband, Christopher had gotten into business school at Babson college and he was going to go get an entrepreneurial MBA. And so we moved to Boston and I worked for a large law firm for just a little bit of time. Hated it, hated it, hated it, hated it. (laughs) And luckily it was 1999. And there was a massive tech boom here in Boston and a big talent shortage. And so you could sneeze and get a job. And so I did. And uh-huh. so I left the law because I was so depleted. I hate, if you hate walking into work, there's your sign. You don't need to talk to anybody. Look for a new job. Sure. If you're not excited to walk in, if you feel depleted, get out. Yeah. And so I got a job in tech and worked for two different tech companies. And that was really cool. It lasted about three and a half years. And it was cool because I learned a lot of new skills doing that. I learned um, all about content uh, because they were both dot coms. I learned about managing people, project management. The first one I was one of the, I think I was number four in the door and they ultimately ended up selling to Monster. And then the second one, I I did not, that was also a big lesson in business. I think they gave me like 10,000 shares and I'm like, woo, I'm going to be fair now. <laughs> and then you come to find out there's four million outstanding. You're like, okay, I'm gonna renovate a bathroom. Yeah. Uh, nice. Okay, got it. So ask lots of questions, people, when you're looking at any kind of compensation package that involves equity or options. So then I went to another one, and by this point we had two kids, and I started to have a life crisis, thinking, what am I doing with my life? I don't have an MBA. I don't really like tech. I don't really want to be doing this. I don't know what to be doing. So I hired a coach, and that coach coached me for about six months. But in the second coaching session, she said, I know what you should do for your life. And I said, what is that? She said, you should coach people. And I said, tell me more. And so she coached me for six months in the business of coaching and launching the business around coaching because my husband and I had done a ton of courses with Landmark Education, the folks that do the Landmark Forum. Sure, I had been a spectator and a consumer of personal development in my own life for a long time. But I had never really thought about being a person that had a career in it. So she coached me in it. And I launched a coaching business in literally like, okay, so this 2001. Oh, that, okay. Wow. So early. That was was before coaching was popular. No kidding. And so I had a great sales line, which people would say, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I've got a really cool job. I work with very successful people that are bored or unsatisfied with what they're doing. And everybody goes, oh my God, that's me. How do you help them? (laughs) I don't know how I help them. And so no. And so then I I launched a coaching business and it was like instant home run. Just one-on-one over the phone, private coaching? One-on-one, private coaching, in person, typically here in Boston. Oh, in person. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, one thing leads to the other. I had one, one coat, one client who was a financial service, it was a whatever financial advisor for AG Edwards. And in the six months that I coached him, he happened to be the head of one of their offices. Their production numbers went up in terms of their daily production runs, the recruiting 
numbers went up, the number of clients that were onboarded went up, the compliance complaints went down. And so they measured all this stuff. St. Louis called me and said, what are you doing? Or called him and said, what are you doing? He said, well, I hired this woman, Mel Robbins. And so next thing you know, I'm on retainer with all of AG Edwards. And so the whole thing just exploded. And the joke is, I don't really understand the stock market, but I do understand people. And so it doesn't matter what you do for a living or how old you are, how educated you are. We all get stuck in the same ways. Sure. And you get unstuck the exact same ways. And so I would probably still be coaching people. But somebody wrote an article about my business as part of a bigger article in Inc. Magazine. And I thought this is going to be awesome, Hal, because the phone's going to ring and I'm going to get bigger clients and I can raise my rates. Crickets. Crickets for six months. And then the phone rings. I was sitting in a restaurant here in Boston with my husband. And at this point, he was was about to quit. He had just gotten fired and he was going to start a pizza restaurant. And the phone rings and it's somebody from CNBC. It happens to be the woman that was in charge of um, primetime programming. I didn't watch CNBC, so I had no idea who the hell she was. But she said, I want you to come down to New York and I want to, actually it was Paramus, New Jersey, but come down to Paramus where CNBC is and we want to talk to you. And so I flew down, I had a meeting with CNBC and uh, Donnie Deutsch was there and Jim Cramer stopped by. And at the end of the meeting, they offered me a development deal to be paid to be produced into a, you know, whatever, a host for them. So that was kind of this interesting moment because I thought, okay, well, this is weird. And um, I called a client in the financial services in New York and asked him if he knew about anybody in the television business because I didn't know anything about the television business. And he said, yeah, I know a ton of people. Let me introduce you to Martha Stewart's former producer. Nice. So I then meet her. She talks to me and says, oh, forget CNBC. Let's go talk to everybody. So we had meetings all over New York and I ended up landing a call-in advice show with Sirius, which by the way, they paid me nothing for, and a development deal with ABC to be developed into a talk show host. And so I spent a year doing a... What what year? Where are we at now? Oh my gosh. 2006 or seven. So why did you choose the Sirius deal over the MSNBC deal? You mean over uh, CNBC? Or CNBC. Well, you can't do two TV deals at once. Yeah. Unless you're a superstar. So I picked ABC. Ah, okay. Got it. And the people at ABC thought it would be good training for me to do a call-in advice show. Hmm. And so I did that from my house. These were like the early days of podcasting. Nobody Hmm. listened to it, thank God, because it's boring. (laughs) Because advice is really boring. Yeah. So this was why the reason why kick ass on audible is so kick ass is because 10 years ago I was giving advice on a radio show and it blew. It was unlistenable. So you learned what not to do from that and then pivoted for this. Okay. Yes. And then here's the other story from that time period. At the end of that ABC deal, the executives, they didn't renew the deal. They didn't offer me a show. And the one executive, I'll never forget it. You should interview him. He's fantastic. His name is Hank Norman. He's one of the producers that started The View. He knows what he's doing when it comes to television and talent. He looked at me and he said, you're never going to be successful because you won't move to Boston or you won't move to New York and you're not in the game. And you got to be doing this every day and you got to starve for years and you got to be at the right parties and you got to be in front of the right people and you got to show up and show up and show up and show up. And I looked at him and I said, Hank, I'm going to tell you something. 
If I ever host a talk show, it will be in Boston and I am going to produce it and own it just like Oprah did when she moved her show to Chicago. And he looked at me and said, it'll never happen. So guess what? When 10 years later or nine years later, Kick-Ass with Mel Robbins debuts and it's the number one new release on Audible. And the first text I got was from Hank and he said, I can't believe it, but you were right. Nice. And um, Because we produced it in Boston and our team developed the whole thing, produced the whole thing, created the whole thing. And so that was an incredible full circle moment for me. That was a little bit of my mom and me standing yeah. Like I'm not moving to New York, and you watch me. <laughs> nice, I love it, and and it goes along with I love the philosophy or the the saying. It takes ten years to be an overnight success, right? Is that it was nine nine years later of you continuing to work and push and drive and and, and impact people that you know that that's it. See, for me, it's twenty years because 20 years. I really think that my skill set got honed being a pub, a young public defender in that courtroom hmm. because the skill set, like I've got a a mishmash of skills that only come from experience. You cannot teach somebody how to do what I know how to do. You have to learn it under high pressure situations. So as a public defender, what you learn, number one, is you're assigned to somebody. Your client doesn't pick you. And they've already been in jail for two days, usually, or a day when you meet them for the first time. So you have to establish connection and trust immediately. That's a skill that you learn only by doing it over and over and over again. You have to learn how to be in a courtroom where you have a judge and you have court officers and you have bailiffs and you've got juries and you've got prosecutors, people that you see, not the jury, police officers that you see all the time. They're your colleagues. And then you've got a jury and everybody's judging you. And you've got to know how to behave professionally and have likability so that the people that are adversarial to you actually like working with you so that when you have to pull a favor, they will give it to you. You also have to know how to behave so that as people are watching you from a jury, because they're going to be reading body signals, that they like you too, because it's part of the persuasion impact. And then there's the whole process of actually thinking about a case, which is storytelling. How do you get a group of 12 people to listen to a bunch of things and lead them to the right conclusion. Hmm. You cannot learn that unless you do it. When I think about coaching people, coaching people one-on-one is all about reading body languages, reading a pause. Um, it's a lot like questioning witness. And so that skill build, being on the radio, you learn how to talk while somebody's in your ear talking to you. You learn how to knit together people that are on hold and how to bring them into a conversation and get rid of them. You learn how to talk in segments to seven minutes and closing down. You learn how to tease so that people stick around through the break, which is how we measure whether or not you're successful. Uh, At CNN, it's how do you take massively complex topics and turn them into sound bites? How do you create yourself on camera so that you're entertaining and engaging? How do you pivot on a dime and literally riff when news is breaking? How do you literally close down what you're about to say in 15 seconds flat as you're talking into a commercial break? Yeah. yeah. You know, like, real, real world skills that you can't read a book on. You can't. Time. And so now it's all come down to the kind of company that we're building and the stuff that we're doing. 
Yeah. So let's go there. What is next for Mel Robbins? What do you, what are you doing right now? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Obviously, the new Audible show, Kick Ass with Mel Robbins. Right. Um, second rule is still selling lots of copies, changing lots of lives. Uh, you got you're, you're still speaking quite a bit. Uh, what, any, anything else? I'm sure there's lots. <laughs> yeah, we're wrapping up a big online course. Um, I'm going to take the summer off because what I realized is, oh wait a minute, all these people that are cranking out books the way that I'd like to. They're not on the road 200 days a year. Kind of hard to write and to have a video channel when you have a lean team and you're, so I'm I'm, I'm doing something deliberate. I'm really taking off the next three months, not only to work on some projects and to really for my mental health and to spend some time with, with my family quality time, but also to really make a pivot and to start thinking about myself more as a content creator and as the CEO of a media company and less of myself as a motivational speaker. And so the big pivot for me is, and we just had a meeting about this, is that I am building a media company. And I look at Twitter as my ABC, or it's probably more like my CNN, since everybody gets news there, and my Facebook as ABC, and my Instagram as NBC, and YouTube as Hulu. And we have staffed up and are, are building a team so that we are syndicating content every single day across those channels. And so when you think about the old talk show models, it would be that an ABC would pay you X amount of dollars as talent. They would own the show. You make your salary and then you earn things on, on royalties if the show actually syndicates in other markets. I'm inverting it and utilizing social media to create our own talk show and then syndicate across channels. And so whether we monetize it through advertising or whether we just build a massive audience and it's value, 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 and then when we drop a book, we make our money or when we launch smaller brands. So we're looking at our key topics, which everything that we do is about mindset. And so the biggest one is about anxiety. We've got a really cool project about that. Huh. Another one is around relationships, and we have another sub-brand launching around that. We have a publishing imprint that we've launched. And so to me, it's it's making a pivot so that my brand isn't about Mel Robbins first and foremost. Yes, I'm the lead face and the lead personality, but I want to use what we're doing to launch other branded platforms and projects that aren't necessarily my name that help people in the core areas where we get questions like anxiety, anxiety in kids, relationships, marriage, women and entrepreneurship. And so you're going to see a lot of that coming up. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm excited. I love watching. Where are you? What's coming up with you? This movie starring Mel Robbins, uh, The Miracle Morning. The it's yeah. about you. Come on. Oh, the Miracle Morning movie. Actually, I mean, it's incredible. It, um, so we got selected to debut at Illuminate Film Festival. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. On June 2nd, and the founder of the festival called me and she said, Hal, I, just, I, I wanted to personally call you. She goes, I don't call the filmmakers. I'm calling you to tell you that when we selected your film, it was a small committee of a few people that watched the film. Well, they raved about it to our entire team. So we've all watched it. And we now moved you from Friday morning at 10 a.m. to Saturday night in the main theater because we believe your film, the paraphrase, she said, it's it, I mean, like they're so high on it. And she goes, Netflix will be there. Amazon Prime will be there. She goes, I think this movie is going to go worldwide. Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime. Yeah. Amazon Prime. 
So you think Netflix I should consider Amazon Prime? Netflix, Netflix doesn't sell anything. All right. I like it. I'll call, I'll call you before I sign any deals. Okay. Okay. I'm telling you, think smart about how all the algorithms of that movie being on Amazon Prime impact people's ability to find the other things that you're doing. Well, that's a good, yeah, that's a great point because that's Amazon is my, that's the flagship uh, channel for us with, with the book. So yeah, yeah you're smart, Mel. Um, so what's the best place for people to stalk you online? Uh, Mel Robbins. So what's super cool is like how we reach about 20 million people a month on social media and we send out a newsletter every Thursday, the five things I'm thinking about that can help you and helps me everything from playlists that we're rocking to super cool new Ted talks and research. Um, but just go to melrobbins.com. Yeah. Follow us on social, whatever channel you like, that's the best way to reach us. Yeah. And if you're thinking about building your own website or improving your own website, which I now am because I went to melrobbins.com this morning and I'm like, use the guys I work with. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I'll, I'll follow no, 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 I'm, I'm dead serious. They, they specialize in sites like ours that are personality influencer driven, but it's a hub that sends people to social. So you text me their info. Text me the, yeah. Yeah. Please text me their you info. I appreciate it. Yes. Mel, I love you. I love I you too. You. Thanks for coming on and a great having a conversation. And My uh, pleasure. Can't wait to see the movie. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be awesome. I'm excited too. Uh, well, everybody that got to listen, I'm so grateful that they got to get to know you a little bit better and uh, I will talk to you soon. Awesome. Bye, my friend. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. 